Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Windham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Windham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. The restaurant industry in Connecticut and the nation was hit hard by COVID-19 and is still suffering. But they're coming back with innovative ideas, events and menus to lure us back out to eat. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. When COVID-19 hit, everything quickly came to a standstill and many businesses were forced to let employees work remotely. But in the case of the restaurant industry, many had to close their doors entirely for long periods of time or were only able to offer reduced services with limited seating and more outdoor dining to make sure they complied with local COVID restrictions. For some in the industry who had been in business for many years, they simply took the opportunity to retire and close for good. But many other restaurants took the opportunity to evolve their businesses and keep going, despite supply chain issues, staffing shortages and a lack of customers. As COVID begins to be less of an issue, restaurants are still fighting to get customers back through their doors and eating out again using special events like restaurant weeks to tempt us back out from just eating at home. In this podcast, I talk to Andy Goot about a unique culinary event called Taste Two Towns happening in Wyndham and Mansfield until March 5th. We're talking with Andy Goot, Stone Row Kitchen and Bar owner. Yes. But also president of the Willimantic Downtown Neighbourhood Association. Andy, ever so many thanks for talking to us on Connecticut East this week. Up until March 5th is Mm -hmm. Taste Two Towns. That's correct. Which is Willimantic. Yes. Mansfield. All the fabulous restaurants of which you, of course, are one of them. Talk to us a little bit about how this came about because sort of you're one of the people that really made this happen. Yes. So Taste Two Towns was born positive unintended consequence of what COVID did to the hospitality industry in 2020 and 2021 when for a great deal of time many of us had to close our dining rooms and even once we were allowed to reopen our dining rooms the inflow of customers was nothing like it used to be supply chain issues staffing issues inflation the list would go on so to turn a negative experience into a positive one taste two towns was born so we reached out to the Mansfield Downtown Partnership, which is the next town over. Mansfield, and notably Stores, is known for being home to the University of Connecticut, whereas Willimantic and our downtown neighborhood were a uh, former 19th and early 20th century boomtown with uh, textile mills. And today, our economy is really based built on um, education, Eastern Connecticut State University being here. So Mansfield and Wyndham are sort of like a lot of Northeastern Connecticut. We're just kind of out here, and we exist a lot with a sort of captive audience because we're not necessarily directly accessible with an interstate or major public transit. So 
What's kind of happened is this burgeoning food scene between our two towns has been going on. UConn has become a very international school in the last 10 or 15 years or so, bringing international students and international faculty, and faculty just locating from all over the United States. So as our universities have grown, it's been a really good opportunity to see more and more restaurants open. 2021, 2022 comes around. We reconnected with our customers to say, it's been a rough two years. We're open. We want to welcome you back. We've missed you. So let's welcome back the public with a restaurant week. It sounds a dumb question. How much convincing did the other restaurant owners take, you know, when you said, we need to do this? It was immediate. And usually with hospitality people, myself being one of them, we are a spread thin group and moss does not grow under our feet. We are moving constantly. So usually it's very hard to get hospitality folks on board for much just because there's always a lot going on. This was so simple. People got it right away. And what's interesting is 10 years ago, concept of doing a restaurant week out here, first of all, there wouldn't have been enough restaurants. This year we have over 20. And I think it would just been met with just blank stares. A lot of, well, why Why would you want to do that? And who, who would be involved? And it just really feels like we're ready. We're building that critical mass. And that's where it really takes both towns. And it was, again, it stemmed out of my role as president of the Willimantic Downtown Neighborhood Association. Began with, we have these two downtowns in stores and in Willimantic that are both going through their own renaissance, the larger part of stores downtown being relatively new and they're sort of finding their identity. And Willimantic, our downtown being 100 plus years old, is sort of rediscovering what its new identity is going to be. Great way to break. This is to break bread. This is the way to move forward. And in terms of the collaboration is it starts with food. It starts with the places that people gather. It starts with things that are yummy. Tell us a little bit. Who is Andy Goot? Who is Andy Goot? Well, I I suppose I might start by asking that question every day. When I wake up, who do I want to be today? Well, so in terms of the hospitality realm, I actually started my first restaurant when I was 24. So I'm 13 plus years in. In this building where we're recording now, which is now Stone Row Kitchen and Bar, my first restaurant, which opened up as a small lunch place and a coffee shop, was in 2010. And that was Cafe Mantic. And I just, the sum of my experiences have really been, you don't have a lot of time to have other jobs by the time you're 24. So I've been hustling on my own for a lot of years and really figuring it out as I go along. About five years in, Cafe Mantic really started to get some good traction. I hooked up with a friend of mine who was then became my executive chef, and we really worked together to develop our menu and develop into a full-service dining destination, which then did start to attract a lot of attention. Kind of a head-scratcher, because we were doing some very innovative things. We were doing a lot of new flavor combinations that were very unheard of in this area. I mean, Willimantic, Wyndham, Northeastern Connecticut wasn't really known as a dining destination, and here we are getting reviewed by the New York Times, So, and receiving accolades from many outlets. So that really began, I think, the the idea that food and hospitality can really work out here to redefine the neighborhood. And so I ran Cafe Mantic and started the catering company and started actually another opportunity out here is real estate is accessible. So I bought this building and then the building next to where the restaurant is when I was 34 years old in a downtown neighborhood. That is something that is very unique 
to this area because real estate is affordable that as a restaurateur, I'm now an owner-occupier. I have a four-story building that I can continue to develop. That's been a really cool part of the journey too and the momentum that's becoming in this neighborhood as a result of that as well. Where did the interest in the food industry come from? Because it's a tough industry. You know, even if you put like COVID aside, we see restaurants come and go. And that's not just here in, in northeastern Connecticut. You know, you can be in Manhattan or, you know, if you don't quite get it right, that's it. Yeah, that's you. You started with who is Andy Good, And that's that's a question that I ask myself a lot, too, is this this is if you want to make it in this industry but also find a balance and find contentment and and find the desire to continue through it, you're really going deep within yourself. I mean, number one, you have to love people. You have to love people. You have to love making decisions on the fly, as we say. You have to love your craft. An independent restaurant owner, you don't go into the business to get rich. You do, it, it, there, there are far more lucrative options out there in terms of career paths than going into hospitality. I think what really brings me the satisfaction is I got in on something on the ground floor and starting as my own business and then seeing how that sort of really began to change a neighborhood and now getting out of just one neighborhood and how I'm being able to have impact in a larger region. That's where the gratification comes from, but it's deferred gratification. And I sort of see it now as I recognize by about, uh, you know, at that point I was maybe 25, 26 years old, where I had to have this kind of conversation with myself of, okay, Andy, this is just going to be your life for a little while and just give it all of it. And that really kind of made sense. It did. To recognize that I'm going to give it a a period of years and it's going to be 99% of everything. Then what happens is the dividends do start to pay off. You do build up that team. Systems come in place. Mechanisms come in place. And I'm really happy now where even coming out of COVID and I've, I've scaled back significantly my operations and starting to build those back up. But to have an operation where on a day-to-day level it runs, the history's there, the, the innovation is there through the team, that's the dividend starting to pay off. So you're what, a Connecticut native? I am. Yes. So t- tell us a little bit about, you know, so where do you come from originally? Are you from the, are you from the quiet corner? I grew up more in the Hartford area. Um, so we're very different area to hear then. Because oh, totally. Hartford is, is you know, a, a metropolis, very, very different to here. And then, of course, you come here to the, the quiet corner. Why? The draw, it tells a different story. I went to Eastern Connecticut State University, and I, I think I was drawn here through or I was drawn to stay here for the opportunity for the acknowledgement of the stones that I could turn over to create something and again it goes to I had the energy the the desire the charisma to go right from school to having my own business I landed in hospitality I worked in restaurants I cooked on lines right I waited tables I've always loved the industry. I didn't know that it would be one of the defining chapters of my life so far, nor did I know that it would be one of the defining chapters of where maybe I'm headed next, which I don't know, but I know that there's an inertia building for me that maybe extends beyond. I'll tell you, before COVID, 
I was thinking, you know, I'm going to have three or four restaurants, and I had other buildings, and I had a, I had a property in Mansfield. We were turning into a cooking school and a pop-up event venue. I had a catering company that was had a lot of traction, and we were we were really notable for events we were doing with UConn, and I kind of lost all that. That that I, I could not keep that momentum going after. I had to let the staff go, and my infrastructure of, of all of that just started to break down, and my, my number one clients, the universities, weren't doing events for two years. So I was given all of this space that I didn't ask for. And I think as a result of that space, you know, you asked, who am I and what do I do? I had to look in the mirror every day and say, what, what's next? What's next? And I think part of that journey also kind of coming out of what's next is being okay with not knowing what's next. And I think that's myself and wanting to say, I need to have more and I need to have more restaurants and I need to have more staff and I need to do more sales. That constant chasing for more probably got in the way a lot versus just being content with what I have and what I didn't lose in the last couple of years. It's been a game changer for me. It's probably a rather overused uh, phrase, but we hear the word pivot a lot. Uh, you know, lots of industries and lots of organizations have pivoted. But clearly talking to you, listening to you, watching you, the passion that you have a hundredfold in, in the belief in what you do and obviously your businesses, clearly that's part of what's keeping you going and, and as you say, rubs off on other people. You know, to get 20 restaurants to sign up, still in times where the supply chain is not where it should be, prices are still quite high and to say hey let's do this you do a prefix menu but let's welcome people back it takes a lot of energy but also a lot of persuasion i would have thought to to say to these people this is what we need to do it it absolutely does and to the first year when we were signing on restaurants this is our second year doing taste two towns the first year i think January was a hard month of January 2022. It was still, we were still very much in the pandemic. The restaurants got it right away. This year, even easier. There's, we're creating that unified hospitality community where we all understand building that critical mass helps to tell the overall narrative of the food scene that we're building in this, building in this area. You said earlier that uh, when you started Stone Row Kitchen and obviously got your chef, you were doing things which were different, different tastes, different flavors. Mm. Were you ever any point a little bit worried that it wasn't going to take off? And, and then when it did, what... I was worried, still worried. Yeah. What, what do you think actually made it take off? I mean, you know, I'm looking at a menu here, and, and I have eaten here before at your restaurant, and it is amazing food. You know, the chef and, and the team come up with amazing stuff, and it is different. But that's because I'm a foodie, and I like different food. But, you know, we're in the state of steady habits, and people don't always take to something new that quickly. Yeah. I remember... The early years were, it's, it's six, seven o'clock at night, and we're out standing at the host stand, you know, waiting for 12 people, you know, the, for the night to start, and we might do 12 covers. And the, the landscape of this neighborhood was even different back then, and I'm going back maybe nine or so years ago. A lot more vacant storefronts, certainly not many more restaurants or much activity after five. It's the conviction of believing in what you're doing. Also, 
pushing the envelope a little bit, but not too much out of your potential customer's comfort zone. Is giving the people what they want well, kind of at the same time saying, we know what you want, but maybe try it this way. Maybe try it this way. It's taking familiar, especially with our inaugural menu all those years ago, taking really classic dishes and just putting sort of a, a little 45-degree twist on them, right? How can, we, how can we tell the story of a meatball a little bit differently? Oh, well, we can use pork and veal, and we can use this kind of cheese, and we can do this. And how can we do chicken differently. Well, we can do chicken with house-made kimchi or a jerk jerk chicken marinade. It's It was just introducing these new flavor profiles. Now, you mentioned previously about being in the quiet corner. Doing a concept out here, the, the type of menu we offer, which is where, you know, locality, meaning the seasons, the local farms really dictates our menu. My, my chef really dictates what goes on it it's what he's into what he's experimenting with and then also based on the feedback of the customer it's a balance of what can the area support but also we're bringing we're bringing in what's going on in the larger metropolitan areas to a small town to a small area that's very deserving of it and it's not so lonely on the block anymore. When Cafe Mantic was on its own, there just when there were other restaurants around, it can be a lot of convincing, a lot of persuading, a lot of no, 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 just give us a try, just give us a try. There's been a click, there's been a change where guests just kind of, they get it. And seeing that you took part in that is really a wonderful reward. When you think of sort of eastern Connecticut and maybe southeastern Connecticut, and of course we're in uh, northeastern Connecticut, you know, Mystic, of course, always gets mentioned and there's lots of restaurants, etc. down there. That said, people know Willimantic, and Willimantic has, for the last few years, been getting itself this reputation as being a foodie central place to go. Do you believe that's down to you? I believe that... The risk return is real, and I think I risked a lot. I think I risked over 10 years of my life building something here. You know, I do believe that we choose what we choose for a reason, and we take the path we need to take. If I got into hospitality and I went to a more established city, a more established downtown or a dining destination area, you know, it, it would be a different career for me. Things may have happened differently. The return I'm getting here is just part of my story, and it's authentic to me. And yes, I do believe that myself and my subsequent team throughout the years have certainly played a role in the momentum that's going on here with food and economic development and people paying attention to the positive things in this area. Yes, we've been a significant part of that. Tell us a little bit about... What people can expect from Taste of Two Towns this year? Like I said, second year, 20 restaurants. Just give us a quick so like, a quick flavor, other than obviously the Great Stone Road Kitchen, which of course is your restaurant. Just give us an idea of what other tastes people can expect, not just like here in Willimantic, but maybe a couple of the restaurants from Manchester. Sure, and, and that's what makes it really interesting is tying in sort of some of the global cuisines with some of our mainstays. So in Mansfield, for instance, we have uh, Little Aladdin, which is Mediterranean grill, Gansett Rass, which focuses on falafel and more, some Turkish cuisine. We have some of the Mansfield mainstays like Fenton River Grill, Dog Lane Cafe. What's been really nice to add this year in Wyndham has been Cinco de Mayo, which is a, they've been around 20-something years, Mexican restaurant, 
wonderful to bring them on board. We brought Pho Delight, which is a Thai restaurant. They're only a year old. Trigo Wood-Fired Pizza, they're three weeks old. We've, we've gotten them involved in Restaurant Week this year. One thing we'd like to do even more so in the upcoming years as well is Yukon and, and the stores downtown area has... There's, an, there's a lot of Chinese students now at UConn and international students, and as a result, there's been an influx of really authentic Chinese food, not Chinese-American food, but food native to the different regions of China popping up in stores. And to be able to make that connection in the future years to really see the global cuisine that's popping up here, I'd really like to, to sink my teeth into that. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We have just scratched the surface of not only who Andy Goot is, but also you know what it is that you're doing here. But uh, we are glad that you're here and certainly uh, very deserving of all the success that you've had. And uh, we can't wait to obviously taste all those dishes um, over the next uh, few weeks as part of uh, Taste Two Towns. But in the meantime, Andy Goot, owner of Stone Row Kitchen and Bar and President of the Willimantic Downtown Neighbourhood Association, thanks for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you. And you can find more details about Taste Two Towns and the restaurants taking part by visiting the special event website at Taste Two Towns. That's T-A-S-T-E, the number two, T-O-W-N-S dot com. And the event is on until March 5th. Bon appétit. What is dedication? My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between. I think a parent's job is to protect our children but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Green Valley Tree LLC is proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week. Contact Green Valley Tree LLC for all your tree removal and plant health care needs and more. Find us at greenvalleytreeworks.com or call 860-234-4041. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. Connecticut's Attorney General's Office and the Department of Consumer Protection have stepped in to help residents of a mobile home park in the state due to ongoing problems they are facing with the management company who owns the land their houses are on. Beechwood Community Mobile Home Park in Killingworth is owned by Sun Communities, a billion-dollar publicly traded real estate investment trust headquartered in Michigan. Jackie VC is a resident at Beechwood and, like many of her neighbours, is having septic tank and sewage backing up into her property that Sun Communities says isn't their problem to solve. Until our group got involved and started making all of this public, Sun would be telling people that, you know, it was their responsibility. And you have to understand that we don't own the land our houses sit on. We pay a monthly rental fee. So the land does not belong to us and it is not our responsibility. So Yes, people have put out their own money to get their septic problems fixed. VC says apart from the septic tank issue, Sun has also been increasing their land rent every year since they purchased Beechwood in 2019. Attorney General William Tong says residents at Beechwood are being treated unfairly. They're paying ever more money. The rent's only going up dramatically, but the services have gone down. And so you've got people who don't have a lot of money. They don't have the ability to pay for repairs out of pocket. 
when they depend on Beechwood and Sun communities to keep, for example, the septic system and the sewage system operational. And we're hearing that sewage is backing up into people's homes and it's very unsafe and unsanitary. Chong says his department will use the full weight of the law to make sure Sun communities comply with their legal obligations. And he has also given testimony asking the legislator to pass a bill to cap the amount of rent increases for mobile home parks in the state to help protect residents and allow them to afford to stay in their homes. Calls for the resignation and removal of President Catherine Bergeron of Connecticut College continue to grow this time from the faculty at the school. A letter from the college faculty, signed by 120 of its 168 voting members, has been sent to the school's board of trustees and circulated around the college, demanding the board announce the immediate search for the next president and whether President Bergeron has the continued confidence and support of the board, as no mention of this was in their letter to the school on February 12th. Sam Maidenberg is a student at the college and a reporter for the official student newspaper and says this latest letter from the faculty is extraordinary. It's super strongly worded, and I think it speaks to the kind of rhetoric that is really going on on this campus. You know, since faculty are the ones that sent this out and faculty are the ones that are leading the classes that we're attending every day, that is really emblematic of all the kinds of discussions that we're having in class between students and faculty. So I think that the students were really proud of the faculty for standing up in such a strong way. Katja Christensen is also a student at the college and another reporter on the official student newspaper and says the faculty's strongly worded letter and questions about the board's confidence in the president is sending a clear message. I think this is a very important lesson of how important language is and what is said, what isn't said, and what is between the lines. What we are hoping from the board is a clear answer of where they stand and depending what they say, we will respond as well, especially with the faculty letter and student reporting, student protests. We've made our perspective very clear and have had a lot more open communication. I think we're just hoping for the same from the board of trustees and also President Bergeron. The faculty letter also asked for an open forum for dialogue with the board at their upcoming meeting on campus on February 24th and 25th, as well as the immediate stabilising of the school's Division of Institutional Equity and Inclusion, from which Dean Rodman King resigned in protest to a college fundraiser at a Florida club known for racism and anti-Semitism. A year after the death in custody of Brenton Chambers and the Office of the Inspector General has released their report concluding that Chambers died of acute fentanyl intoxication and his death was not the result of any physical force used against him by Norwich Police Department, but accidental from substance use supporting a previous report from the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner back in 2022. The office said there was no cause to refer the matter for potential prosecution and that the Office of the Inspector General will take no further action on the matter. However, the report does ask the question of how Chambers was able to ingest fentanyl while he was being held in cell number 5 at the Norwich Police Department and has concluded that both probation officers and Norwich police officers failed to detect the fentanyl that was hidden in secret pockets in Chambers' clothing, which he continued to wear during his arrest and while in police custody. The Inspector General's office recommendation for police departments is to take custody of the arrestee's clothing and for them to supply alternative clothing while they remain in police custody and for that clothing to be returned to the individual when they are transported to court. The office adds that although some cost and additional effort will be needed 
needed by police, such an approach would likely substantially reduce the chance of an in-custody drug-induced death. Chambers was arrested back on February 3, 2022 on a probation violation and for possession of drugs and a firearm. He was taken into custody by Norwich Police, where he later died from a seizure in the early hours of February 4th. And could you be the next Deputy Fire Marshal for the town of Putnam? If you have the State Fire Marshal certification or working towards getting it, then this position could be for you. The position reports to the town's Fire Marshal and performs a variety of administrative, supervisory and technical roles from fire prevention to fire code enforcement to assisting in timely arrivals at emergency calls. Interested candidates can find full job details at the town's website putnamct.us. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening. <laughs>